Welcome to Talking Tuesday. I am your host, Fancy Quant, and today we're going to talk all about management. So, again, coming back into season three here, right down to business, this all has to do mainly with my startup um, culture, working in a small business, and we might do a few little, I guess, kind of overlays or discussions into my banking career, but really, this is going to be about what I've learned uh, about management from kind of that bottom-up perspective, really coming from a startup, learning things hands-on, really testing things, uh, things I don't think you really get when you work at a big company, right? You start in the bottom, and then you kind of work your way up this hierarchy, and a lot of times there's not a lot of good training, or if there is training, right, it's kind of the same, I don't know, hierarchy, big business culture, and the business is so big, a lot of times if you're a good manager or a bad manager, there's not a lot of difference. So you might have a little bit higher employee turnover, but a lot of times there's not I don't know. There's not a lot of differentiation between managers. And so it's hard to learn those things, I think, in a big business, which is one huge advantage of working at a startup um, or running your own firm here. So to start off with here, I want to make this clear. This is coming from, I guess, a, a manufacturing point of view here. But when you manage in general, I don't think there is a like ABC, one, two, three, this is how you manage people. Um, that's pretty simplistic. Uh, so someone who's went to a business school, for example, or even someone who's attended MBA classes, uh, I've taken management classes. They're a lot of frilly, nonsensical, touchy-feely kind of topics, and I don't think they're very useful. So you can't really teach it, I don't think, as well. I do have a video on YouTube all about you know the eight types of managers. Um, it's about looking at, again, your company structure, the culture of the company, who you are as a person, Again, tying in your Myers-Briggs, for example, on who you are and trying to put the pieces together on how you manage because not everybody's going to have a management style. So for example, when I was an operations manager or even like a finance manager and managed all the accounting departments and the marketing and all that, um, I managed very, very differently in that one job when I was managing you know, accounting and finance professionals on one hand and like secretaries and whatnot. And then on the other hand, I'm managing you know, 10 to 12 blue collar employees, rough and tough guys. Um, how you manage people is gonna be very, very different. I don't think you should pick one style and just stick with it. I don't think it's gonna be very successful. You might find it works well in one job, but it works terrible in other situations, even in the same companies. So I would encourage you to watch that video a little bit and diving into kind of dissecting those kind of things. Um, but in this one, we're gonna talk about probably the biggest argument I've ever had in general, it's kind of this discussion that went back and forth. So I started out on the very, very bottom, lowest rung possible at this business. So yes, even though my dad was the president, uh, we had, again, nine other investors. We had all these employees and we had managers in the middle. So when I started, I was like a peon, right? I'm this like lowly guy in the bottom stack, uh, just doing paperwork and whatnot. And I really got my start doing manufacturing. So after I filed some paperwork, picked up some stuff, um, I was like, I want to do manufacturing, right? I want to do the grunt work. I want to do the blue collar labor here. Uh, I want to do something fun and exciting. So I started out doing casting. Casting, if you don't know, there's three stages on this manufacturing process. There's casting, assembly, and finishing. Uh, casting sets up forms, puts rebars in forms, pours concrete, finishes it, and then uh, assembly is going to actually strip all those panels, assemble them into a product, and then finally a finishing, which is caulking, painting, uh, hanging windows, doors, locks, all that type of stuff. So I started off in casting and casting's the grunt work because you're shoveling, 
Uh, super heavy concrete across forms, right? When the mud trucks come in, they're dumping mud. Uh, you're cutting rebar again with like chop saws, which is like sparks everywhere. Uh, it's the not fun area. Like you're dragging hundreds of pounds of rebar across the yard, for example, and just kind of the grunt work, bottom end job in general. So it's definitely necessary though, right? If you don't cast something right, then it screws up the entire process. So I learned how to do casting from the bottom up. Um, I was treated like crap. So I'll just be blatant with you guys. We had operations managers. I was this young kid. Of course, my dad's the president. So then I get treated even worse because it's like, doesn't seem like he's getting any special treatment, right? He's got this terrible job. Uh, let's make it real challenging for him. So that's kind of how it started. Um, I went through and I worked a variety of other positions as well. So I ended up going into finishing next, did finishing for a while. Uh, and then eventually I came into doing assembly, which is kind of middle step. Assembly requires someone to do the welding, um, but I was a 35 ton crane operator for a while and I learned to drive a crane when I was the operation manager. And so at that point I was driving the crane, assembling the panels, getting it all set up. Uh, I had some great employees that would help me kind of line things out on the ground. So they have to situate the panels. And then once we get them all set, uh, we kind of like hold them in place with clamps, metal clamps and things. And then somebody comes in and does all the welding work. So I never did any welding, but yeah, I've worked through this whole process here. And so I think it's important to kind of talk about here the difference between the blue collar side and the white collar side. And again, this varies drastically across companies and cultures and manufacturing and other industries as well. It's not just blue collar and white collar, but the culture was very, very different because when I started right, I was kind of sheltered. And then it's like when you're on the job and you're kind of doing stuff, you're not paying attention, people swear at you and they'll kind of berate you a little bit and yell and scream at you because you're stupid and you didn't do things right. Uh, there was no political correctness. So this is kind of a double-edged sword here, right? At first, like you're kind of taken back. You don't know what to expect. And then I actually really started to enjoy it somewhat. <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily the greatest thing, but it was nice. There was kind of like a camaraderie between people um, if you didn't like something, you're upset with somebody, people just said it. There was no like, let me handle you with, I don't know, politically correct gloves on or child gloves, right? Teach you, treat you like this delicate little, I don't know, employee or whatever. Uh, everybody just, you know, just said what they thought. Management would swear and scream all the time. Things would get done. It's just how it was. So that's kind of the, the rough and tough kind of aspects of it. Uh, there are definitely, like I said, there are good things about it. The camaraderie made it a little bit easier because you kind of found who you worked well with, who you didn't work well with. And then you tried to work on, with them on other projects and you try to avoid different people because obviously there were conflicts and it didn't really work out too well. Uh, the other component is there's a very, very clear hierarchy uh, in this culture of being kind of manufacturing. So you knew who the boss was, right? That was assigned by the company. But there was also this... I don't know how to explain it. It's like a, a cultural, social kind of arc, like hierarchy behind the scenes here where it's like everybody knew kind of where they stood. So just because your title is different or you've been there longer or short or whatever, that didn't define where you stood in the hierarchy. It had to do with how good of friends you were, for example, with the boss. So it was the operations head there. It had to do with how you got along with other people. So again, you could be a new people and you could take a lot of crap and you could just be fun and easygoing, which is the easiest way to do it not take offense to it. You're probably gonna get a nickname or two attached to you. Just part of being part of the group here and it's not a big deal. Uh, when you have people that buck that though and they don't wanna be a part of the group, especially when you have a small manufacturing firm like this and you don't wanna fit in, it creates a lot of tension. Um, <laughs> as a story here, we had an employee, uh, his last name rhymed with uh, no balls. And so no balls, meaning not a man here. And there was a joke about it and somebody called him no balls and then rhymed it with his last name. Uh, the guy ended up punching the other guy in the face. 
And then there was like no fight back at that point. But of course, then you have to jump in from a management perspective and an HR perspective and try to like sort out what happened. We ended up suspending people from working, of course. Um, but again, it kind of gives you the atmosphere that's going on. Both of those employees that were in that situation, neither of them were really, I don't know, they didn't fit very well in the group. I think one guy said it trying to fit in more. The other guy didn't fit in in general. So people kind of picked on him. And then eventually we ended up getting rid of both of them because I think they quit and found other jobs. They just didn't fit. But again, learning to fit inside of a company structure and a culture, I think applies everywhere, right? It's not gonna be as kind of cut and dry and black and white and rough and tumble as like a manufacturing or kind of a blue collar setting. Uh, but learning to fit in, learning to kind of go with the flow, I think are important aspects in life um, from an employee perspective of being managed. If you wanna fit in, you wanna do well, you wanna get promoted later on, you need to kind of fit the culture and figure out how to assimilate into those groups. And then back to the main argument here, just kind of mentioning before, but I got off tangent a little bit. Uh, the main argument that we always had between myself and other managers and investors and whatnot was, how do you manage people? Do you manage people based on fear? Do you manage people based on incentives? So I used to argue a lot that you manage them based on fear. That was kind of my tactic and my go-to. And I'll explain why I did things a little bit differently than I actually thought I did at the time. We'll talk about that. Um, but one thing that was really interesting from a financial perspective is we had, so I knew all the different managers we had for operations. They would come in, they'd work for a year, two years, three years, whatever, and then they'd quit, get fired or something. Someone else would come in, they'd run it. Um, all kinds of turmoil in a small company, but we had different managers and I could actually look at them, including myself, uh, as operation managers and see who was the most profitable. So by no surprise, I was the most profitable. There was another guy, second most profitable. And then out of the other, I think there was four other guys, uh, all four of them lost money when they managed. Just how it was, we split it up by time periods, by project, try to look at things. Uh, they would make money a little bit here and there on some projects, but in general, we'd be losing money. And so one of these managers that was adamant that you were supposed to manage by incentive, um, they were one of the ones with the highest loss rate out of all the, the managers. So I always said, okay, that's because you know you coddle your employees, you treat them like children, uh, you baby them, and then they crap all over you and they steamroll you, and that was very true. So he would go in and say, oh, I'm gonna go tell them, you know, we need to do this project, it needs to be done by Friday. So he'd go out there, right, march out, and he'd tell them, you know, oh, we're gonna get this done, it's gonna be done by Friday. And then the guys would be like, oh, it's not possible. You know, we'll probably get it done next week sometime. You know, that just takes all this work, it's all this effort, and we have all this product we have to get, and we don't have this supply and that supply, and I don't have the tools, and you know, the list went on with excuses. And so then he'd march back in the office, say, okay guys, I got it taken care of. And he'd go, great, when's that gonna ship? Um, probably a few weeks out, because they said it can't be done by Friday, and it'd just be done later. So he had this theory, and again, other people supported the idea that if you treat them really well, they'll treat you really well. Um, this might be true in some scenarios, and I'm gonna talk about why you do need it here in a second, but it doesn't work a lot of times because employees realize that they can just push you over and they can just roll over you. Like if you're gonna say you need something, I'm gonna tell you too bad, you can deal with it. There's no consequences, right? It doesn't really matter. Like they're not gonna enforce it, right? So you don't wanna be a weak manager, I don't think, being the guy that pretends to do incentives. And if you keep saying like, oh, I'll give you a promotion if you do X, Y, and Z, um, or I'll do, I don't know, I'll give you time off, or I'll do this or that, you try to incentivize them. It never really works. And the reason being is that I found out that everybody really wants to get that promotion, but they want to get the promotion before they do the work. So we used to have, our guys always tell us, you know, I only make, you know, 12 bucks an hour at the time. I think minimum wage is like nine bucks, eight something. I think it was like 8.36, something like that. but. Anyways, they'd come back and say, you know, 
Um, I, you know, if, if you pay me $12 or $14 an hour instead of my $10 an hour, then I'll work really hard and I'll really get it done. I'd always respond to them and say, well, if you worked really hard now and you showed me that you could do that daily on the weekly basis, right, you can just for longer term, we'll look at giving you a promotion. And of course it would last a day or two and they'd give up. So again, that incentive piece didn't really work. I always argued that I used fear to manage people because when I started, so it's kind of a story here, but when I started, uh, I was the son, right? We had a bunch of operation managers quit. They failed, but no one left. So it's kind of like, you're the guy just because that's all we have. And so they threw me into it. And most of the people were, I don't know, probably about five years older than me, all the way up to people that would have been like kids of my age that went to high school, at similar high schools, their parents' age. So there's this big gap between, I don't know, like maybe, I don't know, I was probably like 17, I was probably like 19, so probably about my age, right? So from like 19 to like 45, 48, 49. So you get this really, really big span here of employees. Uh, they did not respect me when I started, right? You know, the president's son, you know, I don't know, you don't know anything about the business. You know, I've been working this for multiple years now, working underneath of a lot of these guys when they were the boss. Um, and I remember we had terrible performance, terrible performance, terrible performance. And I just had it. So one day I went out and it was like the morning, we all got there, everyone was screwing around, playing games. So I called the team meeting and said, everybody, you have to be here right now. We're gonna have a team meeting. So be over at this table in five minutes. And I got there and I stood up and I was so sick and tired of dealing with all these stupid people, at least that's how I viewed it at the time, um, that I just berated all of them and told them how incompetent and dumb they were. And if you didn't basically get the job done today, you're all fired. And so it was kind of a harsh standpoint for me um, they had never been really talked to like that by a lot of the other managers. It was kind of like the ribbing I mentioned and kind of like a little bit of like name calling and profanity, but it wasn't a lot. So when I stood up there and basically told them all like, you're going to be fired if you don't do it, everybody was just dead silent. And the rest of that day, the rest of that week, the next few months, everybody worked really hard. So for me, that kind of solidified the fear piece. But as I look back on it more, so one of the key characteristics that set me apart from the other managers was that balancing of both fear and incentives with a solid structure of the rules. So I think one of the most important aspects for any employee in any job is how do you lay out what are the rules of the game that everyone's going to be playing and then everybody needs to play the same game, right? Everybody hates when it's like somebody's a favorite and they get treated better and it's like they're playing by different rules and then you treat different employees differently and you're all on the same team so it should all be the same here. One of the things is I treated everybody the same. And so it wasn't necessarily mean and nasty to everybody but I incentivized different people with like if you basically if you worked hard and I told people this too if you worked hard you did your job I don't have to manage you and babysit you that often right I don't have any reason to come like pester you and bug you throughout the day like just show up and get your job done we'll lay out the schedule for the week uh, and then you just work on it throughout the week right we go to lunch together if you want um, if you don't want to see me you don't have to see me right I don't need to micromanage you and so I made it clear that's how it worked and so people that hated I guess most people hate being micromanaged. I would micromanage the people that just couldn't work and couldn't get things done. And so I think it's important to set those ground rules up front. Like these are the rules, this is how everyone's gonna be treated. And then following through with that. Uh, again, that's kind of the incentive side of like, you need to kind of state the ground rules as I mentioned. Uh, if promotions are gonna be part of this, how do people get promoted and sticking to that? Again, you have to work with management and HR and corporate finance on it to make sure you have the funding and you can set the rules the way that they need to be set. Um, but again, that for me was the big crucial piece here is looking at you need to balance the fear and the incentive together. But in general, you cannot roll over, especially in a blue collar setting, right? People are just gonna like mow you down and treat you like trash. That's just how it is. All right, so kind of to wrap this up here towards the end, 
is how do you manage customers, right? So people talk a lot about like management and being a manager and being a leader and why being a leader is different than being a manager and all this nonsense. Um, but at the end of the day, right, it's not just you managing employees. A lot of times as an employee, you're managing your management and you're also going to be managing customers and customer relationships here. So one important piece here, let's talk about the customer first, is making sure your customers, again, understand what the product is, what they're going to get, and how it's gonna be delivered, right? There's a whole bunch of expectations with the customer. If you don't meet those, they're gonna be upset. And I found out if you miss a few things, you don't deliver them quite perfectly, uh, then they nitpick the rest of the project and everything kind of falls apart. So I had a customer that came in, um, he was just driving through town, he stopped at the plant, he got out of his truck, he went and visited my dad, the president here, who they'd known for quite some time. And then he came out into the yard and he said, oh, these are all my buildings that are being built. I said, yeah, these are you know the five, I think it's five or seven or something that, that are yours. Um, we expect them to be delivered on these dates. He's like, all right, great. He started walking around every one of them. He started looking at it, he said, Dimitri, this is wrong. That's wrong. That wasn't done right. I want that changed. That needs to be fixed. So I had a notebook, right? And I picked up this notebook and I've got my pen, I got my hard hat on, right? My construction gear and everything. And I'm out there taking notes on, you know, building one has these issues, building two has these issues, building three, and I went through all the buildings and I wrote it all down. I didn't fight the customer once. So again, he was right on every single thing. So I had no reason to argue with him. But B, I could have been defensive and said, no, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm an expert and let me explain why. And you know, that's fine as it is. That's not the way to do it, right? I already knew what needed to be done. But again, we screwed up. We didn't get some things done right. Some things I missed. So we just took a note and wrote them all down. And then it was like, I don't know, a month or so later, uh, they were installed and our president went out there and looked at them, did the installation. He asked them, you know, hey, um, is everything fixed that you came through and made a complaint list on? Like, is all that taken care of? And he looked at everything and said, honestly, I don't remember what was on the list or not on the list, but I've looked at all the buildings. Everything looks great and perfect. Like 100%, you know, tell Dimitri thanks for the good job and getting it done on time. Uh, and everything's good quality, so I'm happy. So again, learning to work with customers. I've had instances where customers have been very upset. This is not what they ordered. They got screwed. A lot of things are out of our control. So I had no control or input in that process things are messed up. Again, trying to be reasonable, trying to work through them, trying to put yourself in their shoes a lot of times makes it easier because you can figure out like, okay, I just spent, you know, I don't know, $80,000 and this is not what I ordered. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to tell them like, I don't know if I can solve this or not, but let me talk to the corporation and see if we can make some adjustments and I'm sure we can come up with some sort of solution here. But again, trying to work with people instead of against people and trying not to get combative I think is a big crucial component for doing customer relations and kind of managing those relationships. And just another story here to kind of top it off and kind of drive this point home a little bit of not being combative. Uh, we were in a yard, we were renting the property out from a landlord, uh, we were getting ready to move. There was a lot of tensions between bills not being paid, people accusing people of owing them more money or less money than was expected, them wanting that money, them being very upset, um, somewhat physically violent at times. Um, but I remember they came out and they accused us, our corporation, me personally, the business employees, of stealing um, some pieces to their equipment. So some fairly expensive things. Again, they went to I think like some crane and rigging operations. And so they came out there and they like demanded, you know, Dimitri, you stole this, your company screwed us, you guys aren't doing the best things. And they talked about, you know, how like we treated them so poorly, went on and on about it. And it was just me at the yard. I got there early in the morning. I think a few employees were there and they were like, kind of stepping back, like shocked that, you know, this guy was basically being such a dick. And so I walked around the plant with them and said, you know, we haven't taken anything. 
I have nothing to think about. If an employee threw it in a Connex or something, like we're more than happy to give it to you back. Like we're not trying to steal anything. Uh, here, I've got the keys. Let me run out there and go through all the Connexes with you, all of our storage. And let's just take it all out. I'm more than happy to spend the day or two here just taking it out and looking for you. And they were kind of surprised. Like, oh, okay. Like thinking I'm trying to like screw them and I'm not going to help them out. And we walked around and we took out stuff and I let them come into all the Connexes. We moved stuff around. They looked in a few different ones. They didn't see it. We went through some of their parts of the plants and lo and behold, in one of their storage units, under connect some stairs and stuff, they found it, right? But again, I could have escalated the situation. I could have made it very tense. I could have fought them on it, but it wasn't worth it. We also wanted to move on better peaceful terms. A, I didn't want things to get physically violent. And B, right, I don't want things to get like in courts and legal systems and people coming after us for more money and claiming things were stolen when they weren't. So again, learning how to handle these things and de-escalate situations is a very crucial point here um, when working with customers, employees, basically anybody kind of in that management side where they're managing up and down. And that leads me into the final point here, which is how do you manage up? This is a very important piece. Um, I learned a lot about this, and this is something that can be applied everywhere, especially in quantitative finance. Uh, a lot of quants think that they know everything. Okay. They know everything, they're geniuses, perhaps they do know everything, what they're arguing, but management doesn't understand it or someone senior doesn't get it. And so it's easy to be like, oh, they're just stupid, they don't know what they're talking about. And I see this a lot, right? A lot of quants just, oh, they're dumb, they don't know what they're talking about. And I had this somewhat mentality when I was younger, so all right, I always thought I was right. If you ask my colleagues, they, <laughs> they'll tell you I always think I'm right now. Um, but it's kind of just part of who I am. But trying to work with people, when I started out at this startup, I was always arguing and fighting and like saying, you know, this is how it should be done. You guys don't know what you're doing, right? I'm going to business school. I know this is how it's supposed to be done. And then they would fight back and we would never get anywhere. And it kind of clicked for me one day when I made a suggestion, nobody would follow it. We kind of argued it and like a few weeks went by and we forgot about it. And then the manager, the senior person here, they made some statement like, oh, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z. And they stated, you know, my proposal and how it was a good idea, even though they not wanted to do it a few weeks ago. I didn't say anything, I just let it go, right? Like, okay, you wanna do it, great idea. And it just, it went through, it passed, it did well. And I started realizing if people thought that your ideas were their ideas, and you didn't have to have that confrontational component, you don't have to argue with people, you have to convince them, that a lot of times you can get a lot more done at a business if you kind of plant that seed or help kind of seed the ideas of how to do something differently or correctly, and then just stepping back and letting them think it's their idea. So a lot of people are gonna say, Dimitri, I need the credit, I want the credit, right? I, I'm the one that did this great idea. And yes, I've had this happen throughout my career. You plan an idea, somebody takes it, they run with it, turns out successful, even though you help execute it as well, right? Don't worry about getting things, you know, accolades and appraisal and all that nonsense with it. It's not as important as getting things done, working with the team. You'll find out in the long run, you'll get more promotions. People will work with you easier and better moving forward. So even though you had this like small accomplishment, which you might view as huge, um, that will compound later into bigger and better accomplishments as you can work better with the team as a whole. So one of my keys on managing up here, the biggest kind of tip or trick I can tell you, uh, piece of advice here is, you know, Try to work pe with people, don't try to argue. And a lot of times if you can just kind of put pieces of information out there and kind of try to plant that seed of this might be a good way to do it and then let them think about it and then don't say anything, like don't argue. It works a lot better, I've seen this a lot because as soon as you say this is an idea and it's my idea and this is your idea and your idea is wrong, then people wanna fight and argue over, you know, like, well, I'm the boss or I'm the team leader, I'm whatever, you don't know anything, I'm more experienced or whatever, I'm older. And so therefore they reject your idea purely based on the fact that it's me versus you. 
if you plant that idea and kind of leave them that seed, that information, like, this isn't a good idea, maybe we should do it this way, and you just let it go, and they say, oh, that's stupid, I don't want to do it, just let it go, especially when it doesn't really matter that much. A lot of times later on, they'll try to merge their idea with your idea, or they'll actually use your idea. And again, I don't say anything, let them take credit for it and just move on. You'll get a lot further in your career by doing this. Uh, you'll build a lot more contacts. Um, but anyways, those are kind of my tips and tricks here. That's how I view management though, that you need to have some robustness, try to avoid conflict as much as possible because it does build kind of resentment between teams and partners. And over time, right, you're trying to build a long-term career here, not just be right or get one promotion, for example. And so trying to kind of balance those is challenging. Again, blue collar versus white collar, right? It's really like manufacturing and I don't know, kind of cultural differences a lot of times between different departments. Um, being willing to adjust your management style is also crucial for being successful. So anyways, thanks for listening, watching. Don't forget to like and share. And as always, until next time.